0: Hear what they've done to get there and where they want to go now. Settle back. It's time for a bit of inspiration and advice. Come listen to today's Discovered Wordsmith.
1: So welcome today on Discovered Wordsmiths. I am Matthew Bennett. Matthew, hello. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you, Stephen. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, great. It's great to sit here talking to you. So before we get into your book, Tell us a little bit about you. What you like to do? Where you live? Things like that, other than writing.
2: Okay, I have something here that should tell you a lot about who I am. It's a, it's a mug of tea, build, builder's tea. I'm just going to have a slurp. Okay, <laughs> that's a pretty big cup. I tend to I tend to lose my voice when I'm when I put more than ten words together. I think it's part of the the isolation during the pandemic. You, <laughs> where's my voice gone? No, it's PG Tips, so that's a big brand in the UK. I'm from the UK originally, Stephen, and a long time ago, I I left the UK, went via Sweden, spent some time in Sweden, and then came over here to Montreal for basically my my ex-wife's career. We came over for that reason, and we've been here since 2012. So, yeah.
1: So yeah. where exactly do you live now?
2: In Montreal. Yeah. I where are you, Stephen? Where do you?
1: I am a little ways south. I am right below Lake Erie, about an hour south of Lake Erie by Kent State, where the Kent State shootings were.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> Dubious claim to fame.
1: <laughs> yeah, but everybody knows it. You right. know. Yeah. Um- so what are some of the things you like to do?
2: You mean besides what I – writing is obviously a big passion. Yes. Um, and particularly children's or picture books, I must – there's a reason why I catch myself saying children's books because I I don't specifically write for children. And when we get onto it, I think – I don't know if you have any questions about that, but I really write to try and encourage a dialogue between adults and children or just adults as well i don't see why picture books should have a you know should be exclusively for children at all they are associated that's a strong association but so many of them deal with and have adult styles and yeah i just find the art and literature beautiful relationship to put together in that format so that's really why otherwise i i try and keep fit i'm doing a bit of yoga I really love that. I love cooking, trying different styles of cooking. Yeah.
1: What else... I can't really think. I think So you mentioned the tea Uh, around here. My son has become a tea connoisseur. He has, he goes to specialty tea places and he told us all how hot the tea should be for different types and how long you steep it for different types. And he's got like a specialty tea kettle. So he can set the temperature just right. Certain mugs you're not allowed to use with anything other than tea. And he'll put different, Herb teas or berry teas and stuff in different mugs. And yeah, he's really become the picky little connoisseur about it.
2: That's interesting. I'm kudos to anyone who becomes a connoisseur of anything, really. I think, and tea, I think the tea I'm drinking is vulgar. In the literal sense of the word, it's just typical. That's why they call it builder's tea. It's what you have in a break. Lots of tannin, pretty strong flavor. There's nothing delicate about it. Let's put it this way. I don't think your son would bother with it <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean is there's some there's a really nice Persian tea shop here in 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 Montreal and I had a black tea there once when I was meeting with a friend and it was just delicious actually just on its own with no no milk nothing just very fragrant and light and yeah so I can completely understand anyone becoming fascinated with different teas and of course there's there are like everything there's such a once you get into it there's such a di- diverse range of products. I remember I don't know if you remember the I was looking at Lapsang Souchong do you know have you tried that one? You're- no. Okay it was because it disappeared and growing up or at least maybe when I was a young adult I really enjoyed that It's got a very smoky flavor, and that's apparently the reason it fell out of favor was because there was an association with possible association with carcinogens, and so it wasn't it wasn't sold anymore. But really, unique flavored tea, a little bit like smoky malt whiskies and things like that, in that bracket of of peaty flavors. Yeah,
1: okay, that's cool. Yeah, Yeah, got us some on Christmas and brewed them up just right, and I was impressed. It definitely did taste very good brewed correctly and steeped just the right amount and stuff so yeah i was like okay you sold me that teas can be better than i always thought they were I, i'm standard american put a tea bag in okay it's done whatever
2: <laughs> yeah no and it's great when if he's looking at the herbal teas as well they are really chamomile tea is just it's definitely something you might consider before before bedtime if you just need a yeah
1: so Matt, we're going to talk a little bit about your book called Spaceball, but before we do that, what got you into writing? Why did you want to start writing? I think what we've,
2: yeah, I think what we have planned to talk about today is really all those things are connected, of course, but I think... How can you not experiment with writing? I think if you whether you continue or not is another thing. But I think everybody must surely experiment at some point. And if you discover a voice or something, if you enjoy it, then you might continue as I have. But I have, as far as I can recollect, I've always enjoyed it. So in in various formats, this is the the picture books are really what I do now. But I've occasionally I write a poem as well little stories vignettes a little bit of magic realism as well i often get asked in i do workshops for children in schools actually about creative workshops for producing your own stories using actually using music which is very interesting to to stimulate their creativity initially at least but and one question is very common of course is are you going to write a proper book <laughs> yeah i'm just full of admiration for for authors who engage with a longer work it's not been my thing i have a few ideas but which could which certainly could work but i think i i love producing thinking of a concept that's simple producing a picture book with obviously with pictures and text and giving somebody a glimpse of a beautiful, literary, artistic world for five or 10 minutes. And that really appeals to me. And then and uh, ideas have never been a problem. So I have I have so many that I want to do. So that's it. I just, the time that it takes to produce them is I'm not going to have enough time for the ideas that I want to explore.
1: Yeah, I understand that. Your book, Baseball, we're going to talk about. Tell everybody a little bit about what it is and why you wanted to write this book
2: yes all my books i think are ultimately about bringing the reader to a place where they reflect on their their own experience is the simplest way i can put it even though they all do that in a different way that's ultimately the foundation of what i think i'm and that reflection can involve a healthy sort of disruption of routines in the way that we think about things. And that's what I like to do, if I can. If I've done that, and that's what the reader gets from it, then I'm very happy because I think reflection about one's own perceptions is really important as you as we navigate our way through through our lives. So with Spaceball, that's done in a very dynamic way, as I said in the beginning, using this very powerful these two very powerful forces of entertainment which are yeah the universe i suppose which never fails to to stimulate the imagination and and soccer which is obviously i think the biggest sport globally but the book is really a journey to the to a point where there's an expression in the book that there's a father child relationship and At three-quarters of the way through the book, the father says, without spoiling it too much, there's a goal scored in the book, and the father says that must be the greatest goal in the history of everything. Okay? And that point is really the climax, because that's the point I want to bring the reader to to consider the history of everything. So your own history, your social history, political, your cultural, and then that of others. So there's, so at that point, the child in the story fo- just focuses on that one expression. And I love that because for me, sometimes you're listening and we all drift off, but then something somebody says, it could be one word or an expression, suddenly you latch onto that, and that's really what happens at that point in the book. In order for the reader to just consider what is my own history, who, who am I, and what is everybody else, and what constitutes the history around me as well. But it's a lot of fun. The soccer and the space bring the reader to that point, and that's really the purpose of the book.
1: Nice. Okay. Why did you want to write a book like this?
2: Oh, because I think that's important, Stephen. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I also, so perhaps to answer your question more fully, I don't want to do, I don't want to bring, you want to bring the reader with a certain amount of energy and engagement to that point. There is this sense of momentum building up through the book and a complete change of direction then at that point. But it's, I hope people find it's it's a lot of fun. Um, All the people that that have read it have said so to me so fast. Yeah, it's very easy to follow. And then you ideally, you're left with that uh, reflection. So as, a, as an author, I think you're always trying to think, certainly I am, of you want your reader to, to want to read your book again, to want to pick it up again, to want to check things, to continue the thinking after the book. And I think that's a really great piece of literature if you can do that then you've you've really achieved something as an author I hope that that the package as it were of this book manages to achieve that
1: nice. so you mentioned the reader feedback and people who have read it have you gotten kids saying they love the book or parents saying my kids have read the book and loved it and that they're asking for more oh sure yeah, yeah sure
2: yeah yes I, it's such a I should explain Stephen to you and you, the audience I did I had done a, had a bit of marketing experience before in in other work that I was doing and really the soccer and the space are really marketing vehicles for this book so yeah the ch- children love the energy and all I did the illustration as well and it's all collage another objective of the book was to try and encourage children to do their own illustrations so they're not perfect it's a bit messy here and there it's done with cut out cardboard and images from various magazines and also crayon which i love i love the textural excuse me of an illustrations. so there's a strong flow to the book and i think that there's a good harmony to it yeah
1: nice Are there any other books or authors out there that you can think of that are similar to this book? I'm sure there
2: probably are, but I don't know, Stephen. Creative nonfiction will account for probably most of books about space, but this is really taking a unique spin on that, looking at our solar system. But it starts off with a quote from Einstein, who I just think must, he was such an amazing character and interesting person. And thinking again about just things that he said, he was so succinct and saying that fantasy, one, the book starts with his a quote from him saying that fantasy is more important than knowledge. And you would be, if you don't think about it more on a deeper level, you would be surprised that he might say that because he was, he's so famous for what he achieved academically. But definitely it makes sense that he would say that because without his imagination, he wasn't able to use the scientific knowledge that he had to, to progress in his thoughts. I think that's what he means with that. And I think that's a beautiful way to set up the, certainly my picture book in this case, and great for people to, to bear in mind generally. So, okay. yeah.
1: Nice. This is a little weird for your type of book but could you see this being turned into like a movie or a TV movie or a TV show? I don't, I
2: haven't thought of that. No, no, it hasn't occurred to me. No, I don't know. I don't, I'm not, I'm i am sorry, Stephen, to interrupt you, but I, I do know I do. Of course I'm aware in the publishing world, series are so popular. So in that sense, it could be part of a series, but I haven't thought about animation. I, there is, there's, there's Another book that I've done, I haven't even published it yet, but a graphic designer I was working with asked me, have you considered this as an animation? And it's just another world to me. It's something I don't have any experience of in terms of what I've done. So I'd love to. I think the next step for me certainly technically in that sense is doing audiobooks. But I'm you know, definitely open. I love collaborations and using the material in any way that you can. I think that's really important.
1: Right. And do you have plans for your next
2: book? Yeah, I just I just finished a draft of my next one. Actually, it's the first book I, that was published was it was all it was about color called Maybe Colors, and that was really a poetic, simple poetic text with beautiful illustrations biographic designer in Sweden, as I told you, I was there for a while. And it was it's really a playful experience or book that explores the experience of color in a very simple way. And young, young, younger children could definitely re- relate to this. In fact, they have, in my experience, when I've done workshops with that book and readings for a younger audience. So it's nice to do that kind of thing. But this new, the next book I've just done the draft, it uses color as a theme again, but in a kind of it's quite conceptual. So it's not a story; it's just something I'm interested in. In a in that I w- I'm interested for that particular concept, and it's called "What's Your Favorite Color." It's going to be should be published very soon. So we're, we're yeah, all the work's finished. Now you said you do the art also sometimes, yeah. But I've done yeah. I've got I've worked with. Three other artists now on picture books, and I've done two myself. So there are some that I plan on illustrating in the future. I just enjoy it. I've always enjoyed that side of it too. It's so exciting when you finish a text and you have the opportunity to illustrate it. But it's great to work with illustrators as well. And this book that's about to be published, I worked with a very talented young artist, Stella Avolio. She's here in Quebec as well. And we've just finished. I think it maybe took six to eight months to finish.
1: Wow. Yeah. Picture books take a while with the art, especially. They can do. Yeah.
2: That's interesting you say that. I think that's another common question I get. And I have to say, it depends on the picture book in my experience. I think I mentioned Maybe Colors was my first book. When I knew what I wanted to write, how I wanted to write it, took me maybe an hour or two to write the whole thing it's quite repetitive but not in a dull way that's and that's something you've got to be really careful of as well or i I try and be aware of so as i think with experience as an author you're gaining your own sense of fluency and awareness of where you are in your book and hopefully there's less editing to do in that way structurally with the more experience that you get but that book was very quick because it's more, it's like little stanzas that are poetic. But my second book, Snowman, is actually a tra- more traditional story. And it took me ages to get the, it took me nearly a year to finish the text because I could, I just didn't feel, I didn't feel right about it. I just didn't feel like it, it was put together. And that was more of an organizational thing, not the, Text itself, but where things should fit in together. So it's very interesting. Yeah.
1: Okay. Good. So let me ask you some things besides your book. What are some of your favorite books and authors? Ones that you like to read?
2: Yeah. I, yeah. I, I could say, Stephen, there's a lot of stuff that's quite generic. That's just the way it is. There's a, but then, you look at some authors have taken that in a really constructive way. And one in particular sticks out, which you will know very well, Robert Munch. Okay. Okay. So he, I think he's fantastic and how he gets his sense of humor across. I find his books amazing. And so I like him very much. I didn't know about him. I hadn't discovered him till I came to Canada. So I'm very grateful for that. I think there's, just a joyful sense of humour in his in in his picture books that aligns very well with the other objectives of that, that he had with each book. I think so. Robert Munch, a big influence when I was younger, certainly as a child, is David McKee. I don't know if you you know of him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. and actually older as well. And it's interesting to talk about him. His work, because he really did tackle subjects that were perhaps more adult oriented. If you look at, uh, he's, he wrote one book called, which was really a social commentary. It was called Not Now, Bernard. I don't know if you've come across it. No,
1: that doesn't ring a bell.
2: Okay. And it's quite shocking because four pages in, a child, a young boy goes out into the garden and discovers a monster in the garden and he goes back indoors to try and tell to tell his parents and it's really about parenting actually because it's a comment on certain styles of parenting because the parents just aren't, don't look, listen or look at their child at all and so he, he goes he says and his dad's hammering a nail or something and not now Bernard he says so so he goes to his mum to try and tell her mummy there's a monster in the garden she's and they're annoyed with him because she's watering the plants and she doesn't even look. They don't even look at him when he's talking. And you get this kind of dreadful sense of how bad parenting can be <laughs> sometimes. And this and it's stark in this book. And it's of course he of course he wants to do it. Kid goes back out into the garden and the monster eats him. The whole lot.
1: You can't read that to a child. <laughs> <laughs> I'd read it to my kids, but they're a little warped. <laughs> I I think my mine are quite
2: sensitive and I just, no, I couldn't. I think there's enough out there that's shocking that they yeah, can't, that's really true. can't filter out. So I don't need to, but as a, as an artistic work, I've just found it amazing because he doesn't, he could have stopped there. And this is what I admire so much about, about the talent of some people, he takes that and and the, basically the monster adopts the personality of the boy. So the monster goes in, having eaten the boy, goes in, and the, because the parents aren't even looking at, they don't realise it, the mon- it's the monster. So they're going, not now, Bernard. And the mother serves the monster the, his tea, and the monster goes up to bed. In sleeps in the boy's bed, and the parents don't even realize. So, I think,
1: you know, That's I, a I, very like grim fairy tale. Yeah. That sounds like something you'd read in a grim fairy tale, but huge. I just think I just
2: find him a, a, an amazing author, huge talent. And, and did he produce so much? There's another book called The Hill and the Hill and the Rock, and it's just really a fantastic folly. I just laughed my head off. And again, it goes back to. This ability for of some people to to use their imagination in such a way that you are just carried off in the sort of carnival of their imagination. It's right. a he was Is, a big influence. That,
1: are there any local bookstores that you like up there? There are a few, there are a few. Yeah,
2: there's a local there's a local publisher called Drawn and Quarterly. They do a lot of interesting work with adult literatures. They're doing all they publish all sorts. They do a lot of graphic novels. And they have a picture book outlet as well, which is great. It's great that they can make it work because given the the amount of competition there is certainly online now as well, it must be very difficult to keep that, that, that sort of business going.
1: Okay. So before we talk a little bit more author stuff, if a parent or whatever came up, to you on the street and said, hey, Matthew, I heard you wrote a book. I was thinking of getting it for my kid, reading it with them. Why should we get your book? What would you tell them?" I would tell the parent that
2: what I hope for, and certainly it's been the case so far in my experience, the book will make you want to talk together as a parent-child relationship about your experience of something. The first time I read, my first audience for Maybe Colours was my son, who I dedicated it to him in Sweden at the time. He was eight years old, I think, and he read it with his friend. And they hadn't even finished the book before they started talking about their experience of, their own experience of colours. And that's what I, what I want, that, that engagement between Generations and within generations as well, and within yourself, a simple concept to enjoy, but a one that that could sustain itself for a while. You want your reader to to return to your what you've done in their thoughts, and really about it's about changing that, that perception that we were talking about, so that the next time that you see a color, it's not just part of your everyday landscape it's oh I, I read maybe colors that that was very specific in directing my thoughts in a particular way, and so it's almost like cbt you're you're hopefully giving the reader another perspective in their everyday experience,
1: no, okay, great, so let me ask you, you've written several books. what have you learned? Through that process that you're doing different now than when you first started
2: yeah, that's an interesting question i I think with when you produce more than one and they are varied in their style and uh, presentation, I think you gain a lot of confidence from that when you know when you're in taking on new projects, I think you also feel a lot more comfortable about dropping ideas I'm I'm much more aware of what it is that I think I can work with in terms an idea might come along but if it then I like to leave it in leave it in my thoughts for any any length of time it can be really I have a book that I'm planning on which I'm really excited about actually but I've had it in my thoughts for several years it's ba- it's based in London in the UK actually and I know what I want and I did some research when I was over there last summer so I, I think you just get a you get a lot you gain a lot of confidence you get a lot more a sense of how to do how to complete what not to do and where you are when you're involved in a work you're involved so deeply I think one of the hardest things is to understand is to separate yourself objectively and, and experience it as a consumer would or the reader will eventually. You can't do it, but you can to a certain extent with more experience. And I think now I'm a lot more aware of what I need to do in certain part of a project to make it coherent.
1: Okay. Yeah, I can see that. I get the same way as I've learned and done more. I think a lot of authors that and that's good to know for new authors that it starts coming together as you do a little bit more
2: oh definitely i think my first the first things i wrote were very poor just yeah you, you're you really just finding your feet finding your voice finding out what it is that you want to do with and i think once you have that mindset that frame of mind then a lot of what you need comes in through experience. So, yeah.
1: Okay. And so you suggested we discuss word games, which I found very interesting because we're, I'm a big gamer. I love to game. And word games are something that authors should probably be good at. And people don't want to play against the author in the group in a word game. Uh, first of all, what are some of your favorite word games and why is that important to you to talk about?
2: Do you know, Stephen? I have to be honest. I I, I thought about you, you when you asked what would you like to talk about in the second part of the interview, and I don't think they're talked about enough. That's that. That's the thing. And I um, And it was my experience. I'm not saying this would work for everybody, but I think a big part of my childhood experience was playing Scrabble, and as this might come as a surprise, but it's yes, it's about it's competitive in the sense that you're trying to score points off words, but you're looking at combinations of letters and then you realize what combinations work well and you get a sense of of words from that but what I loved about that game was the opportunity that it gave you to also that kind of word game I enjoyed because You can discuss intermittently with you, with your opponent anything in a very really pleasant way, whilst you're ruminating on what word. So it's a kind of it's a. I I find that game fascinating because it's probably the closest I can get to multitasking. (laughs) Is having a conversation and yet giving yourself the time to. To play with with a combination of letters and the spontaneity of not of not knowing what letters you're going to get, <laughs> is great. But I think I don't know enough. I wish I knew more. But Bo- there's a boggle was very popular. But then there's a stress. I in yeah, there's a stress to that though that I that I think is appropriate sometimes, but not always.
1: If you compare that to Scrabble, you're talking about an entirely different tempo. Yes. Um, And Scrabble gets more of the feel of playing chess with somebody. If you're playing somebody that's about the same level player as you, it can be a lot more fun. But when you're playing somebody who's a pro that has like the Scrabble dictionary and just knows so many words, it loses some balance to it. It's not quite as much fun for a newbie a lot of times. The same as playing a chess game. Well, I
2: I have a solution for you, Stephen. I thought of a variation for my kids, uh, which I love. I have to say, I know it's me. this was me saying it, but there, there's, it fits in with what I do with workshops with kids as well. But for my kids, I came up with, because you want to try and get them at the table before, you know, you become adept at playing script, the typical game, right? So I said to them, look, you can put down any word you want. You can spell a word as long as you can define it. It doesn't have to be a word in the dictionary. Nice. Amazing yeah. little Shakespeare's. Yeah, well, there you go. And this is something that brings it. It resonates with when I was doing workshops back in Europe. You know, when you're dealing with kids at that age, they're so creative. I used to do an exercise with them where I would just say, and every single kid had a word that they made up, and they knew what it meant. And very often, the sound of that word. It was appropriate to their, what the definition or the meaning that they gave to that made up. word. Right. So made up Scrabble. And it's just, how much fun is that? It just, it's just so cool. And it gives you, you, you give your kids a chance to beat you. You, you don't stand a chance. Really.
1: Yeah. They'll definitely, no matter what, what tiles they have, they've got a word to put down. They've got big words to put. Yeah. But I love that too, because Instead of worrying so much about the competition and worrying about trying to compete at an adult level, it brings the game to a kid's level and encourages their creativity, which is vastly important, in my view, in their whole lives, especially if they want to write or play music or many other endeavors that creativity, I think sometimes we don't nurture it enough. I'm sure you got some Scrabble purists out there going, oh my gosh, you could never do that. No, I was just thinking the same thing, yeah. <laughs> cool. yeah. But you're using the tool in a different way and that's perfectly acceptable. There's a new game out on digital, on phones and stuff called Wordle. And I know I see a lot of people playing that one. I think sometimes people avoid the word games because they associate them with Scrabble and oh, I'm no good at Scrabble. So they think of all word games as Scrabble. Yeah, I think,
2: I think a lot, imagine if you're dyslexic as well, what a nightmare it must have been to, to have that, have that sort of proposed as a game. But again, yeah, if you could make up your own words, it wouldn't matter how you spelt them. I I don't know, Stephen, I I think whatever way you encourage connection with the form, the graphic, the sound, just if you can get people to enjoy that, any any one of those things, then you've you're you're helping them in a world to to develop a, a much better way of, of and improving their communicative skills. That's and games
1: are a great way.
2: Yeah, that's so important in my work. I had the workshops I do the mu the musical stories workshop. I've got one actually on Monday that I'm going to do here in Montreal with a group of eight, nine-year-olds. It's all about use developing a sense of literacy in terms of feeling words. And that that's ultimately about being able to communicate with your, within yourself and with your with, within your with your relationships as you grow older. So it's, it's disguised because the children walk off with, a, with their own story, and that looks like it's the objective. And, of course, that's a great objective, but actually what they're doing in my, for me is they are nurturing their vocabulary for the way that they feel.
1: And that's not only important for kids to be able to express themselves, but for writers to be able to describe that for other characters and worlds and things. Yeah, I like that.
2: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, it's uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's great to do that with the games. What is co- also completely different in terms of what became very popular, though, I'm sure you remember when it happened, because it took, the, a bit like Wordle, but the magnetic words that you put on the fridge. Yes. Yeah, and I love, I just think that was fantastic. When I first came across it, I don't know, 20-odd years ago, of course I bought a set straight away. And it's just that, notion of it, it's very clever because it's, it's those moments that you when you're doing something else totally unrelated so you go into the kitchen you want to put the kettle on or chop a apple up or whatever it is and there are a couple of words on the fridge you just of course you're going to play around with them while you're waiting for the kettle to boil or whatever and so you're moving through that world of words again in, in but you're presented with you're forced because of the words are complete. I love that as well.
1: And they have variations of that too, where it is words and you're supposed to put them together in sentences or sayings and phrases that they make them to leave messages for people. But I've seen other ones that are focused more on creativity to allow kids to, we've already got all the words here. Just put them in an order that tells a story, makes sense, whatever.
2: It related to this completely is on my website, I think there's a few examples, but you, met, you asked me about my experience, and I think we talked a little bit about that in terms of picture books, but one thing I really enjoyed was there was a challenge on the radio once many years ago, and I forget what the program was called, but they invited famous creative personality, and in this case, it was David Lynch that came on, and they talk about creativity and their process, of course, but then at the end of the program, they the creative would would offer six words, and you had to write flash fiction in a hundred words or less using those six words oh wow and I just thought what a brilliant exercise it was, and so productive in many different ways and I enjoyed it so much I think he I can still remember some of the words that he used bacon, fire, yeah scissors, I think were in there as well. And I ended up writing three different stories using those, just those six. But, but the, the challenge, what a challenge it was to try and create a coherent piece in under 100 words. Yes. So you're constantly, while you're being creative, you're trying to edit as well. And that, that was really useful for me as, a, as an exercise. I must do some more of that, actually.
1: Nice. And you mentioned your website. What is your website address?
2: It's www.onewildword.org. One wild word is all one one word. And there again, it was I called it that because I like the idea that all you need to start with is one word like a seed. And where you can take it from there is the fascinating journey of writing, I think.
1: Nice. Great. All right, Matthew, before we go, could you, do you have any advice for new authors out there, especially picture book kids authors, which I think is still more difficult than a lot of people would realize any advice for them?
2: I think get, just get tested and, and don't try not to be too sensitive. (laughs) That's it's easy for me to say, but there was a time when I took negative feedback very personally. And now I love it, actually. It seems silly to say it, but I do say to people that sometimes I say negative feedback can be more important than positive. So don't worry if it's really what you're, if you really have, if you have this passion, it's more like a need. You need to do it. And certainly in my case, I can't stop. It's not something that I can just switch off It's something that I, it's a way that I need to express myself that works for me. But of course, it's such such a delight when you go from a concept in your head to something that somebody can hold and enjoy and relate to is really a phenomenal joy and achievement. And one one should always be proud of that. You forget about it, but it's culturally, it's such an important resource, artistic expression in any way but i would say m- most of all what I, I don't it's so easy to be discouraged in so many ways but try and produce something that that works for you and then give it to somebody who you don't know you've never met somehow you've got to get it to an audience that isn't emotionally related right. to you yeah you don't have a relationship with and try and get feedback then and then look at the feedback in a very in a very sort of sensible and productive way, because the more I the longer I've done this, the more I realise that a lot of feedback, like my fir- the first one of the first feedbacks feedback I got on maybe colours, was from quite a prominent reviewer at the time, but she wrote the blue is too blue <laughs> in the book. <laughs> I was like. Oh, okay. And then that was really important for me. That was a really sort of significant point in my career, in my health, my mental as as an author, was I just realized you're not going to – you can't satisfy everybody. It doesn't matter how much you want to. And then when you get feedback from so many different sources about the same thing, you realize everybody likes different parts, and that's a good thing and they don't like this, and he doesn't like that, she didn't like that, but they like. he liked this, and she liked that. And so it works. When you get that feedback back, you realize, okay, all of this is fine. You accept all of that. But then you might get something where you realize, okay, structurally there's a comment or some feedback where you realize, yes, I should have done that instead, or I can change that because that person is actually right. I can see that now. And you, re- you realize that you may have overlooked something that could be a problem. So I would say get as much feedback as you can and work through it. And that means when you think you finished, you never have. <laughs> so don't ever think you finished
1: anything. <laughs> right. The, um, the, famous You don't finish it. You just abandon it. So right? that's what you're
2: not supposed to, That's what you shouldn't do. But... I think it's never – what it is, ultimately what you produce in the end is a version that's that you might be happy with and that you think has longevity. But to get to that point, I think you're, you could do any number of 10 to 20 revisions of everything. Right. And that's – yeah, that, that, I'm glad I said that because I think that's something that you don't – I think you don't realize as starting out. You, you might think this is finished, and then you get your feedback, and then, but you should always try and look at where, where that particular project might be found lacking. Right. Yeah.
1: Great, Matthew. Well, it has been really fun talking to you. Uh, your book sounds great, Space Ball. I'll provide links in the show notes to it and your website so everybody can check you out. I appreciate you taking some time and being on today.
2: Thank you, Stephen. It was a real pleasure. Thanks great. so much.
1: Hi, if you enjoyed this episode of Discovered Wordsmiths, please support the author. Go to their website, go to Amazon, look them up, get the book. And if you click on the link that I have in the show notes, you'll also help support the podcast so I can keep the hosting and all the software I use and uh, keep it running to help more authors. When I am recording this, we've got over 100 episodes, lots of authors, go to the website DiscoveredWordsmiths.com. Check it out, there's a lot of great authors, probably in some genre that you love. See what they have, check out their books. That's what the point of the podcast is for. So people can discover new authors, find some new books they love, support the authors so they can continue writing. So please support them. And if you do like the podcast, if you've been thinking of podcasting or you're a writer, I've got some links also at the website. Click on those if you're interested in any of the software or services that I talk about. Everything that I have there is something I use, so I've got an affiliate link. Again, it's a little bit, if everyone clicked on those, if they were going to get it anyway, it helps keep the podcast going. So let's all help each other out. Discover more authors to read.
0: Thank you for listening to Discovered Wordsmiths. Come back next week and listen to another author discuss the road they've traveled and maybe, sometime in the near future, it might be you.